We hope you enjoy this episode from our series, Famous Fates. It's about the impactful lives and shocking deaths of history's most influential people. To hear even more episodes each week, subscribe to Famous Fates exclusively on Spotify. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Before we begin, we do our best to accurately reflect history to the best of our ability. This episode includes language from the 1800s that some people might find offensive. Listener discretion is advised. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the Ford Theater presents Our American Cousin. Now don't forget, Dunn, after the luncheon you must go with me and visit Cousin Mary. I never saw Mary, I'm sure. Hush now, don't you forget. I can never forget when I can recollect. Then recollect you have an appointment with me after the luncheon. Yes, yes. Well done. What have you after the luncheon? Well, sometimes I have a glass of brandy, or uh, a run around the duck pond, or... He held our union together through a vicious civil war. And worked tirelessly to pass the 13th Amendment. Yet there are shades of gray in the heroic life and character of our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, unbeknownst to many. Did you know he suffered from depression, may have been gay, and originally entered the Civil War not to abolish slavery, but only to preserve the Union? Would you ever guess that this behemoth of American political history failed repeatedly, personally, financially, politically. He lost lovers, three children, and multiple elections before ascending to political greatness. There's a Japanese proverb, fall down seven times, get up eight. No other president in our history exemplified the philosophy of this type of perseverance more than Abraham Lincoln. He ultimately led our country through its darkest hour of slavery and war into a dawn of peace and a new era of freedom for all citizens. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. And I'm Carter Roy. Welcome to Famous Fates, a ParCast original exclusive to Spotify. Each week, we'll release five fresh episodes centered around a common theme, such as Hollywood icons, influential women, or music legends. In each episode, we'll take a close look at the remarkable life of a different person. With the help of voice actors, we'll dramatize their incredible lives, reimagining their greatest and weakest moments. Then we'll examine their controversial deaths. Some deaths came too soon, some remain shrouded in mystery, and some changed the world forever. Today, we're covering Abraham Lincoln, the 16th President of the United States, revered for tirelessly leading the U.S. through the Civil War. He was also the first American president to be assassinated. You can find episodes of Famous Fates and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. To stream Famous Fates for free on Spotify, just open the app and type 
Famous Fates in the search bar. Famous Fates is a Spotify exclusive, so you can only find it on Spotify. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And now, back to the life of Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln was born on February 12, 1809, in a small log cabin in Hardin County, Kentucky. His mother and father, Thomas and Nancy Lincoln, were humble, illiterate farmers. Lincoln's father was barely able to sign his name. He also had an older sister, Sarah. Sarah and Abraham grew up on a farm, where he learned to wield the axe, help his father chop wood, and carve a house in a farm out of the hardwood forest. Nothing in his humble beginnings would ever suggest he would rise to President of the United States. Lincoln attended school only intermittently because his help was required on the farm. However, he did learn how to read. He developed a voracious appetite for books, devouring as many as he could get his hands on. Tragedy struck the Lincoln home when, at the tender age of nine years old, his mother Nancy died of milk sick a disease likely caused by wild poison the cows ingested. Nancy's death gravely affected young Abraham. Making matters worse, Nancy had acted as a buffer between Lincoln and his father, who did not get along very well. With Nancy gone, Abraham and Thomas Lincoln clashed even more. Abraham disdained the life of a backwoods farmer. He was also deeply bothered that he had to turn over any side wages to his father before he was of age. So, for example, if he helped a neighbor with work, Thomas Lincoln kept all of Abraham's earnings. Some speculate that his scorn for this law in part led to his sympathy for slaves, who were denied the fruits of their own labor. Mm -hmm. Adding to the contention was Lincoln's opinion of the old man, who he saw as lazy and unintelligent. His father reciprocated the feeling, thinking Lincoln the lazy one because he preferred reading over farm work. Boy, I done told you already to put that book down and get on out to the field. Them corns ain't picking themselves. Yes, Paul. And give me that damn thing. Why? Boy, you don't ask the questions around here. I done told you to hand it over. Now hand it over. But it's mine, Paul. It ain't doing no harm. Except making you a lazy son of a bitch on my farm. That's not true. I do my share, Paul. These books teach me so one day... One day what, boy? I can do something more than just sign my name. I ain't got no use for a lazy dog on my farm. And you know what I do to lazy dogs, don't you? Lincoln didn't invite his father to his wedding. He didn't even make the 80-mile journey to visit his father on his deathbed, despite his father's request. If we could meet now, it's doubtful whether it would not be more painful than pleasant. In 1828, Lincoln finally left the farm to work on the riverboat, hauling freight, which ran down the Ohio and Mississippi River to New Orleans. This was also his first exposure to large-scale slavery and slave auctions. Two years after his riverboat stint, Lincoln helped his family move to Illinois. In 1831, he settled in New Salem, where he worked various jobs as a postmaster, mill hand, and a failed shopkeeper. It was here he met Anne Rutledge, there's been debate over whether or not they were lovers. Up until the 1990s, it was disputed because there were not many references to Anne in Lincoln's letters. However, academia now accepts reminiscence-based oral history. 
Many of those accounts from locals in New Salem testify to the nature of their relationship and are now widely accepted. Anne Rutledge was a beautiful young woman with auburn hair and striking blue eyes. Lincoln met Anne when he was 22 and she was 18. Like Lincoln, she also came from a humble background. But Lincoln was poor and lacked training of a trade, making him unsuitable for marriage. So a wealthier gentleman, John McNamara, courted Anne, and they were set to be married. McNamara left to New York to attend to family matters and never returned, ultimately abandoning his fiancée. Now a prominent bachelor in New Salem, Lincoln allegedly proposed to Anne and she accepted, on the condition that first she end her engagement to McNamara in person. But tragedy struck before that was possible, when Anne came down with typhoid fever and passed away in 1835. The epitaph on a new headstone at Anne's original burial place reads, Where Lincoln Wept. After Anne's death, Lincoln slipped into a deep depression. Some historians suggest he even suffered a nervous breakdown. Depression, what he referred to as the hypo, short for hypochondria, is a condition Lincoln battled his entire life. Thankfully, it wasn't severe enough to impede his ambition. Lincoln's first tumble in politics was as supporter of the Whig Party. The Whig Party was founded as an anti-establishment response to the Democratic president, Andrew Jackson. It was accused of being a party for the elite and wealthy, but voting records showed, in addition to being pro-business, it favored social justice in the education and prison systems. Lincoln ran for state legislature as a Whig candidate in 1832, but lost. This defeat didn't stop him, though. He ran again in 1834, by this time formally a member of the Whig party, and won. And won again in 1836, 38, and 40. During this time period, he met Mary Todd, a feisty, well-educated, high-society woman. Although Lincoln was awkward with women and the two came from opposite sides of life, they became engaged in 1840. Where is he? He's coming, Father. I told you. I told you all. Abraham, where in the Lord's name were... Abraham, you look ill. Are you well? No, I am not. Mary, I, I cannot... Cannot what? Stand? Continue this path with you. I cannot marry you. <laughs> what? I am ill-prepared and unfit for this role, for this duty required of me. Mary, dear, believe me, there is a shadow on my heart. Get out! Lincoln, at age 33, an ancient bachelor by the standard of those times, called off the engagement, not quite ready for holy matrimony. After Lincoln ran from the prospect of marriage, he fell into a deep case of the hypo, writing in a letter, I am now the most miserable man living. If what I feel were equally distributed to the whole human family, there would not be one cheerful face on earth. But he and Mary later reconnected at a social event, after what many described as a tumultuous courtship, the two eventually married on November 4, 1842. As Lincoln was preparing for nuptials, a friend asked where he was headed. To hell, I suppose, was Lincoln's response. They had a dynamic and colorful relationship. On the one hand, she was a trusted advisor to him and continually supported his political ambitions. On the other hand, their personalities and way of life clashed. 
He cared little about his attire. Image was everything to her. He was calm and got along with everyone. She was quick-tempered and quarreled with just about everybody, from house staff to his friends and even political advisors. Lincoln and Mary had four children, all boys. Only the oldest, Robert, lived into adulthood. He later served in Republican administrations. Little Eddie died of a long illness when he was only three years old in Springfield, Illinois, before Lincoln left for the White House. Willie and Thomas, three years apart, and mischievous little codgers, according to their father, both moved into the White House with Mary and Lincoln. The boys had friends over and owned many pets, including ponies and goats. The goats would even pull carts inside the White House. Lincoln was known for being an affectionate father, carrying the boys on his shoulders so they could touch the rafters in the White House. However, he was often gone and therefore unavailable to the boys, leaving Mary much of the child rearing. Well, they were permissive parents, allowing Willie and Thomas, or Tad, short for Tadpole, to run wild in the White House. But the feisty boys brought cheer to an often damper mood due to the war. Yet tragedy hit the Lincoln family once again when Willie came down with a fever, most likely typhoid. He died when he was only 11 years old. Lincoln mourned in Willie's room for two days and refused any correspondence for another four days. Mary was inconsolable, holding seances in the White House in attempt to connect with her dead son. Mary Todd's mental and emotional stability eventually deteriorated especially when Tad passed at 18 years old, six years after Lincoln's assassination. We'll return to our story in just a moment. And now, back to the life of Abraham Lincoln. In referring to Lincoln's family and marriage to Mary, it is worth noting a controversial question. There is a contentious debate among historians and scholars over Lincoln's sexuality. Meaning, was Abraham Lincoln gay? Some claim he wrote love letters to his roommate and lifelong best friend, Joshua Speed. Others contend beyond this that he was indeed homosexual and continued to sleep with men throughout his presidency. But several historians point to the fact that he was a staple at certain brothels before he was married. Although he did share a bed with Joshua, that was a common practice in those days. Without many hotels, traveling men often shared the bed with two or three other men. Also, close friendships between men were more common, and society permitted more emotional intimacy than what is thought of as normal for today. As mentioned earlier, after Lincoln broke off his first engagement to Mary Todd, he fell into a depression. And the following year, Joshua became engaged to Fanny Henning. Then it was Joshua who was overwhelmed by depression. Both men, it seems, were paralyzed with fear at the thought of intimacy with a woman. Lincoln wrote a letter to his good friend, consoling him. When this shall reach you, you will have been Fanny's husband several days. You know my desire to befriend you is everlasting, that I will never cease while I know how to do anything, that you will always hereafter be on grounds that I have never occupied, and consequently, if advice were needed, I might advise wrong. I would desire you give my particular respects to Fanny, but perhaps you will not wish her to know you have received this, lest she should desire to see it. P.S. I have not been quite a man ever since you left. Despite the nature of their friendship, in either capacity, the two companions didn't always see eye to eye. 
It is deep within the very soil of our land that all men have certain unalienable rights. Is that not the sacred ground we so defended against the tyrants of Britain? A land of freedom? For the white man, Abraham. For all men, Joshua. Every man deserves the opportunity to rise in the morning without shackles around his neck, so that he might indeed rise to his own greatest potential. Your politics are blasphemous. You are no longer the humble man who came to me in need near a score ago. I am him, he is I. We are one and the same. Can one not expand his views, yet still remain rooted in his self? The Whigs have expanded you into an arrogant and irrational fool. Nay, they have opened my eyes. Then I no longer know you, wide-eyed friend. Perhaps this is our final parting. Goodbye, Abraham. Joshua. Joshua, don't be foolish. Despite their differences, Lincoln and Speed remained close friends until his death. And Lincoln's ability to articulate his side without alienating those against him proved to be a great strength in his career as a lawyer and politician. While serving in the Illinois state legislature, Lincoln taught himself law, passed the bar, and in 1937 started practicing. He moved to Springfield and became a successful attorney, representing big companies and individuals in a respectable manner. He earned the nickname and reputation, Honest Abe. But Lincoln had his sights set on more than just law. Ambition for a life in politics glowed in his eyes. He was eventually elected to Congress, but served only one term due to an informal one-term rotation system. Lincoln's unpopular stance on the Mexican War, claiming James Polk, not the Mexicans, started it, as well as opposing any land gained from the war becoming slave territory, cost his successor, Stephen T. Logan, the seat in Congress. Discouraged by the defeat he felt was his fault, he returned to Springfield to practice law, but not for long. He was thrust back into politics with the passing of the Kansas-Nebraska Act, which divided the lines for slave and free states even more sharply. It revoked the ban on slavery in the Louisiana Purchase Territory, north of a certain line of demarcation, opening Kansas Territory to slavery. A civil war between pro- and anti-slavery factions erupted in Kansas. An ominous seven-year precursor to the bloodiest war ever fought on American soil. Before 1854, Lincoln had said little about slavery. Yet by opening all of the Louisiana Purchase Territory to slavery north of 36 degrees 30 minutes, Lincoln believed the Kansas-Nebraska Act had reversed the course of the Founding Fathers. He believed when they adopted the Declaration of Independence and enacted the Northwest Ordinance of 1787, barring slavery from most of the existing territories, the Founding Fathers were against the spread of slavery. That was why Lincoln was so bothered. The Kansas-Nebraska Act was going directly against what the great leaders of our nation had intended. So Lincoln ran as the candidate for senator, but lost by a slim margin. Once again, he went back to Springfield to practice law. But continued in politics, helping to form the Republican Party in 1856, a party based largely on keeping the Union whole and taking a stance against slavery. Slavery is a monstrous injustice that deprives a Republican example of its just influence in the world, enables the enemies of free institutions, with plausibility, 
to taunt us as hypocrites. With the Kansas-Nebraska Act, a Republican robe is soiled and trailed in the dust. Let us repurify it. Let us readopt the Declaration of Independence, and with it the practices and policy which harmonize with it. During the party's convention, he lost a bid for the nomination as vice president, and that year the Democratic candidate James Buchanan won the presidency, a major victory for the South. Three years later, Lincoln ran again as a senator against Stephen Douglas. The two had more than just political competition boiling. At one time, Douglas had also courted Mary Todd. Their beef went way back. Yeah, the two opponents entered into a famous series of heated debates. A house divided against itself cannot stand. It can and it has. So explain to our dear townsfolk why the country cannot continue to exist half slave and half free as it has for the past 70 years. I believe this government cannot endure as such. Permanently half slave and half free. It will eventually become all one thing or all the other. And only one is righteous. Your rhetoric about slavery's ultimate extinction will only drive the South into secession. And is it not true you believe in Negro equality? I believe all men deserve freedom. Are you in favor of conferring upon the Negro the rights and privileges of citizenship? No! I do not speak on racial equality to the white man, merely the human being's right to be free. And do you desire to turn this beautiful state into a free Negro colony? No! In order that when Missouri abolishes slavery, she can send 100,000 emancipated slaves into Illinois to become citizens and voters on an equality with yourselves? No! Lincoln lost the election, once again left to lick his wounds. But his performances at the debate gave him notoriety throughout the North. Lincoln used his downtime to help develop the free labor ideology, which was at the core of the Republican value system. Its premise? Newly formed territories should be free states. Slavery degraded manual labor because it was bondage. Free men who practiced the virtues of industry, thrift, self-discipline, and sobriety should be able to climb the ladder of success. I am not ashamed to confess that 25 years ago I was a hired laborer, hauling rails at work on a flatboat, just what might happen to any poor man's son. But in the free states, an ambitious man can better his condition, because here is no such thing as a free man being fatally fixed for life in the condition of a hired laborer. I want every man to have the chance, and I believe a colored man is entitled to it, in which he can better his condition. By the urging of those in the newly formed Republican Party, Lincoln once again ran for office. But this time for the highest office in the land. Lincoln's day of political victory finally occurred when he was elected as the 16th president in 1860. His win was by a close margin, not having won any votes in all 10 southern states. Nonetheless, he was the President of the United States. However, between the time he was elected and the time he was inaugurated, seven states seceded from the Union, setting the stage for the upcoming Civil War. In the early part of his term, 
Lincoln's position was that he would allow the southern states to continue the practice of slavery, but not permit it to spread to new territories or the north. But that reassurance wasn't enough for leaders of the southern states. In 1861, delegates of the seven states met in Montgomery, Alabama, and formed the Confederate States of America. Lincoln, traveling to his inauguration in February of 1861, said, I now leave, not knowing when or whether ever I may return, with a task before me greater than that which rested upon Washington. A common misconception is that the Civil War was only about slavery. In truth, it was also about states' rights, taxes, infrastructure, and the preservation of Southern culture. Even if a Southerner didn't own slaves, slavery supported their way of life, so they were willing to protect that interest. And Lincoln first ran on the platform that states' rights prevailed, and he only sought to keep the Union together. He didn't believe in slavery and adamantly did not want to see it spread into new territories, but initially he felt it was a states' right issue. If that feels complicated, it is. Lincoln believed all men deserved to be free, but he didn't believe it was the federal government's authority to overrule the decisions of existing states. Therefore, he was not seeking to be the president to handle the issue of slavery for the South. My paramount object in this current struggle is to save the Union, and is not either to save or destroy slavery in the South. If I could save the Union without freeing any slave, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing all the slaves, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing some and leaving others alone, I would also do that. And the Civil War tested Lincoln mentally, spiritually, emotionally. On a personal front, those years were equally trying. Like we mentioned before, his son Willie died in 1862. But he was committed to the war. He refused any terms except surrender back into the Union. And later, the emancipation of all slaves. I expect to maintain this contest until successful, or till I die, and conquered, my term expires, or Congress or the country forsakes me. Lincoln proved to be a shrewd military strategist, studying all military history and strategy books he could find. He used the railroad system against the South as a much quicker way to transport his men and supplies. After going through several generals who he disagreed with, he found Ulysses S. Grant. Grant had his own less than stellar reputation of being a heavy drinker and floundering during his earlier campaigns. Yet the two men saw eye to eye on strategy, which was to attack the South at multiple points at the same time. And Lincoln defended Grant. I think Grant is hardly a friend left except myself. What I want is a general who will fight battles and win victories. Grant has done this, and I propose to stand by him. Despite this, it was General George Meade who commanded the forces that won the most important Union victory in the Civil War, the Battle of Gettysburg. It was after this battle Lincoln gave his famous address. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation. Conceived in liberty, and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation, or any nation so conceived and so dedicated, can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field 
as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that this nation might live. We here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation, under God, shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. We'll return to our story in just a moment. And now, let's continue our story. By the closing of the war, Lincoln changed his course of rhetoric on slavery, proclaiming that denying human beings freedom was a sin on the soul of our great nation. On January 1st, 1863, Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, which claimed all slaves to be free. Although it didn't have the authority during the Civil War to end slavery, it was hugely symbolic and the first step toward the making and ratifying of the 13th Amendment, which constitutionally abolished slavery. Lincoln believed the Emancipation Proclamation, coupled with the use of black troops, constituted the heaviest blow yet dealt to the Confederacy. When this war is won, there will be some black men who can remember that, with silent tongue and clenched teeth, steady eye and well-poised bayonet, they have helped mankind onto this great consummation. While I fear there will be some white ones unable to forget that with malignant, hard, and deceitful speech, they have strove to hinder it. Throughout the course of the war, Lincoln fought opposition everywhere he turned. He was often fighting with his generals, his party, cabinet, and a large majority of American citizens. He was accused of being a tyrant for suspending the writ of habeas corpus. Confederate sympathizers would be held indefinitely without a trial. They were also arrested and imprisoned without a warrant. As the war drew to a close, Lincoln was dogged in his surrender terms. Many moderates from both sides tried to persuade him to allow the southern states to continue the practice of slavery as a term of surrender. Sir, Jefferson Davis is willing to surrender. And see to it that all 11 states rejoin the Union. And the slaves? Is he willing to free slaves of such states? No, but... Well, then we fight on and continue the decimation of his men until he does. Mr. President, you assured Southerners that you would permit them to choose the lifestyle they see fit for their lands. This was and should remain about the preservation of the Union. No human power can subdue this rebellion of the South without using the emancipation lever as I have done now. And it has been a fine strategy, sir but we are now faced with what is best for the country. Colored soldiers will not continue fighting for the Union if they think the North intends to betray them. Then they need not be aware, sir. We are men of honor, Secretary Seward. If they stake their lives for us, they must be prompted by the strongest motive, the promise of freedom. And the promise being made must be kept. At last, Lincoln's terms were met. General Lee surrendered in the spring of 1865. Four bloody years after its start, the Civil War was over. Upon this day of celebration, allow me to underscore the importance of harmony, which I look forward to experiencing with malice to none and peace to all. A peace that includes a new chapter in our country one in which all men are free. This was the ultimate vision of our founding fathers, a land of promise to all. 
So those who are colored may also enjoy the opportunity to work for a fair wage and receive an education. Now by God I'll put him through. Let this be the last speech he ever makes. Unfortunately, the young, crazed man in the crowd that day, John Wilkes Booth, made certain to see his promise come to pass. Booth was a well-known actor and a Confederate spy from Maryland. Though he never joined the Confederate Army, he had contacts with the Confederate Secret Service. Booth and his own brother bickered bitterly over John's zealous rhetoric, to the point where they eventually stopped speaking. I do not understand why you take such vehement issue with him, John. And I cannot see how you do not. He is a man, tasked with the heaviest of burdens, decent by all accounts. Decent? That man's appearance, his pedigree, his coarse, low jokes and anecdotes, his vulgar similes and his policy are a disgrace to the seat he holds. The anger I watch boil within you as you go on and on about him is only a poison to yourself, an unjustified and nefarious one. He has made a hammer of the North, Edwin, to crush out slavery. Calm yourself, John. Perhaps it is time for you to go. You do not see what must be, brother. Abraham Lincoln can no longer be tolerated. In 1864, Booth formulated a plan. Very similar to one of Thomas N. Conrad, previously authorized by the Confederacy, I might add. Well, the plan was to kidnap Lincoln in exchange for the release of Confederate prisoners. But once Booth heard him speak at the White House, he redirected his plans and became obsessed with killing the president. On April 14th, while grabbing his mail at Ford Theater, Booth learned Lincoln would be attending a play there that evening. Booth gathered a crew of co-conspirators. Their goal was to assassinate Secretary of State Seward, Vice President Johnson, and President Lincoln. And their political aim was to cut off the head of the Union government, turn the country into chaos, and give the Confederate Army a chance to reorganize and gain power. In his 2005 analysis of Lincoln's assassination, Thomas Goodrich writes, all the elements in Booth's nature came together at once. His hatred of tyranny, his love of liberty, his passion for the stage, his sense of drama, and his lifelong quest to become immortal. Lincoln had premonitions of his impending death, telling his good friend and biographer, Ward Hill Lamon. I had a dream about 10 days ago, Ward. There seemed to be a death-like stillness about me. Then I heard the subdued sobs, as if a number of people were weeping. I wandered downstairs. I went from room to room, hearing the weeping. I kept on until I arrived at the one which rested a corpse wrapped in funeral vestments. Around it were stationed soldiers who were acting as guards. Who is dead in the White House? I demanded of one of the soldiers. The president was his answer. He was killed by an assassin. Lincoln had three other dreams like this and shared them with his bodyguard, William H. Crook, who became gravely worried Lincoln was seeing his future. On Good Friday, April 14, 1865, Lincoln decided to attend a play at Ford's Theater. I implore you not to attend tonight's performance, Mr. President. I feel ill about it, and I cannot be by your side this evening. I promised Mary we would attend. My dual roles as Commander-in-Chief and Husband often stretch me in opposing directions. Tonight it shall be in the direction of her pleasing. 
You are far more decent than most I have known, sir. Nonsense, Crook. We all hail from the same design. I'm no better than the next. Well, the hour is upon me. Goodbye, William. Crook later recalled. It was the first time that he neglected to say goodnight to me. It was the only time that he ever said goodbye. Lincoln attended the play with Mary, Major Henry Rathbone and his fiancée, Clara. John Wilkes Booth waited for Lincoln to take his seat in the presidential box. Then, in a cruel twist of events, Lincoln's stand-in bodyguard left to drink at a saloon during the intermission. He was late returning. Booth saw his opportunity. He snuck up to the boxes. Because he was a regular performer at the Ford Theater, workers there gave his comings and goings little thought. At 10.15, Booth shot the president point-blank in the head with a 44 caliber single-shot Derringer. Rathbone immediately jumped at Booth. But Booth stabbed him. Booth then leapt down onto the stage, and some heard him say, Six Semper Tyrannus, I have done it. The South is avenged. Six Semper Tyrannus means thus to all tyrants, in reference to Brutus, who assassinated Julius Caesar. It is also the motto on Virginia's state flag. When Booth leapt on stage, some of the audience thought it was part of the performance. But a young doctor in the audience heard Mary Todd scream and rushed up to the presidential suite. He found Lincoln slumped in his chair, paralyzed and barely breathing. President Lincoln was whisked away to a house across the street from the theater where he slipped into a coma. The following morning, 722 on April 15th, Abraham Lincoln died. Edward Curtis, an army surgeon in attendance, recounted that a bullet clattered into a basin during the doctor's removal of it from Lincoln's brain. The team stopped and stared at it. Curtis said, this bullet, the cause of such mighty changes in the world's history as we may perhaps never realize. Abraham Lincoln ultimately succeeded in keeping the United States of America together as one and catalyzing the end of the erroneous and horrific chapter of slavery in our country. The burdens and losses throughout the course of his life were heavy, at times almost unbearable. But nevertheless, he persevered. Keep in your mind and heart the next time you feel like a failure or giving up, one of the greatest presidents of our country felt just like you and chose to keep going. In doing so, he paved the ultimate step of progress for the United States of America and carved out his own destiny. So what is your destiny? You can only find out if you persevere. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes of Famous Fates and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Famous Fates is a Spotify exclusive. Well, not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Famous Fates for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Famous Fates on Spotify, just open the app and type Famous Fates in the search bar. Remember, it's a Spotify exclusive, so you can only find the show right here. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time.
If you want to hear more episodes like this, subscribe to Famous Fates, available exclusively on Spotify. Spotify.